Hello, you're listening to On Israel, Al Monitor's podcast. I'm Ben Kaspid from Tel Aviv. Anxiety in Israel ahead of the U.S. presidential elections is particularly strong, as it is in China, Russia, Iran, and Saudi Arabia. Many in Jerusalem are biting their nails, knowing that the identity of the next American president will have a direct and tremendous impact on Israel itself, on its neighborhood, on geostrategic developments that affect it, and on many other aspects of current and future life. Israelis are split on the issue more or less like Americans, with right-wing voters mostly supportive of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, backing Donald Trump, and center-left ones preferring Joe Biden. Bottom line, if the elections were being held in Israel, they would be a cakewalk for Trump. And how? The gifts that Trump has showered on Israel and on Netanyahu over the past four years have done the job. Many Israelis are convinced the red-haired commander-in-chief is the best thing that has ever happened to their country. As always, Israel's top echelons are careful to avoid the appearance of meddling in American politics, although it doesn't take a genius to guess who Benjamin Netanyahu would like to see in the Oval Office for the next four years. In the highly publicized three-way phone call between Trump, Netanyahu, and the ruler of Sudan a week ago, Bibi almost fell into a trap that would have gotten him into a lot of trouble when Trump asked him whether he thought Sleepy Joe could have achieved the same Middle East peace results. But Netanyahu has been around long enough. He mumbled something non-committal and emerged in one piece. Hopefully, this week will put an end to all the speculations and alternative scenarios of the past year. A Trump-Biden tie or a constitutional crisis in Washington would be a nightmare for many in Washington, Jerusalem, and the Middle East. Our guest today is a senior Israeli diplomat who is well-grounded in U.S.-Israel relations and has played an active role in shaping ties between Washington, New York, and Jerusalem. Dan Gillerman served as Israeli ambassador to the UN for over five successful years, from 2003 to 2008. He was considered very close to Israel's uh, mythological defense and foreign minister, the late president Shimon Peres, and is well connected uh, in top political and business circles in the US and elsewhere. Today, Gillerman is chair of Mark Stone Capital Group, Israel's larger private equity fund. He splits his time between Tel Aviv, New York, and European capitals and countries to follow developments on the Washington-Jerusalem axis. He joins us right after this short break. If you're listening to this podcast, you obviously care about the Middle East. And if you do, you should probably be reading El Monitor. El Monitor is a global newsroom headquartered in Washington, D.C., with a network of over 160 contributors around the world. El Monitor offers first-class reporting and analysis from a range of perspectives and an approach that represents the highest journalistic standards, as well as an award-winning commitment to press freedom and independence. If you haven't done so already, visit us at elmonitor.com, check out our articles, and sign up for our free newsletters. There's a lot to choose from, including the Week in Review, an essay that offers unusual insights and forecasts into the region based upon El Monitor's outstanding reporting. And if you haven't done so, 
please subscribe to our El Monitor podcast on your favorite podcast platform on Israel with Ben Caspit and on the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti. Now we say uh, shalom to Dan Gillerman, Israel's former ambassador to the United Nations, and thanks, Danny, for joining on Israel, the Almonitor podcast. Shalom. Shalom. Hi, Ben. Always great to be with you. Thank you. Now let's uh, start uh, diving into uh, the November 3rd. It's this Tuesday, a major event uh, vis-a-vis our area, Israel and the Middle East, and uh, my, my first general question is, uh, how do you see the tense expectations in the Middle East ahead of November 3rd? To what extent will the results impact the Middle East as a whole? Well, I think the expectations are great because uh, in a way, decisions taken in Washington and what happens in the United States affects our region even more than uh, local decisions taken here. I'm always reminded of the famous story about uh, our late Prime Minister Levi Eshkol, who was told there was a drought. And he said, oh, no, uh, where? And they said, here, in the Negev. And uh, he said, oh, thank God, I thought maybe in the United States of yes. America. So, you know, what happens, the decisions taken there, the future, the next four years in Washington and the United States will have great effect on our region. And therefore, I think there is this uh, great expectation. And there's also great uh, tension because uh, these are very close elections. And uh, by the way, I don't think we'll even know on Wednesday morning uh, who the next president of the United States is, whether it's Donald Trump, who will continue for another four years, or Joe Biden, who will take over. Yes, it is going to be maybe a long night and maybe a long week, and we hope not more than this. But let's now go into more to details. To what extent will the identity of the next president affect the clash between the two competing blocs in the Middle East, the Shiite-Iran axis and the more pragmatic Sunni axis, which uh, contains now uh, Israel? I think that uh, whether it's Joe Biden or uh, Donald Trump, uh, we, we will see a continuation of the support and the uh, ever-growing involvement uh, as far as the Sunni Arab countries are concerned. Uh, we've seen in the last uh, few weeks uh, several important uh, Sunni countries, whether it's uh, the Emirates, uh, Bahrain, and uh, now Sudan, which is uh, you know, sort of a mix between uh, Sunni and Shia. Uh, but uh, and, and apparently and quite likely there are more countries uh, to join. And I think this trend in any case will continue. Although I, I believe that uh, especially, well, not especially, maybe even, even if Biden is, is, even if Biden is reelected and which may be even more surprising, even when Trump is, elect, is reelected, uh, there will be a closer dialogue, I believe, also between the United States and Iran. I think that uh, secretly, maybe not so secretly, uh, Trump's uh, real desire is to try and reach a deal with Iran. And I think the Iranians, also because of their dire economic situation, uh, would be w- willing to go that way. So 
I think that what we will see in the future is an ever-growing flow of Sunni Muslim countries, uh, Arab countries, uh, making peace or at least reaching agreements of normalization with Israel, uh, and maybe even less of an uh, engagement or even a uh, war, at least a war of words, between uh, the Western world and, and the Shia world. It's very interesting what you just said, because uh, I understand that you, uh, you assume that uh, this uh, trend, uh, uh, like you called it, uh, between Israel and Arab or, or Sunni countries, is not dependent on the, on the identity of the next president. It has its, its own life. But the, the other thing you said, and, and you just uh, jumped, my, my, my next question is that any president, whether it will be Biden or Trump, will negotiate with Tehran uh, in order to reach a, a renewed or new uh, nuclear agreement. And so I will ask you that, what do you think, the, who do you think the Iranians are preferring? And it's very easy to say they prefer Biden, but I think it's more tricky than this because you, you, saw, you saw Trump with the, with the Kim Jong-un in North Korea, he was acting like or talking like, like a lion and, and in the end he fell, fell like, like a flea. Uh, or, or, uh, so what do you think the Ayatollah Khamenei is thinking to himself, who will he prefer? Strangely, I think that uh, the, uh, the Iranians are, would actually be interested in a Trump victory. I know that sounds against all odds and it sounds very, uh, un, uh, you know, very surprising. But I think, you know, Trump is so eager for a real big deal. I mean, what he did with the Emirates and some of the other countries is very nice and very important. And I'm uh, not taking it lightly, but uh, he wants to win the Nobel Peace Prize. And I think that uh, some kind of arrangement with Iran will guarantee him that. On the other hand, uh, the Democrats and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris uh, will, uh, will also be quite moderate as far as the Iranians are concerned. They will want a new agreement. They may go back to the original agreement, which Joe Biden was a party to together with uh, Barack Obama. So I think that uh, although it sounds like a very crucial outcome for Tehran, uh, I, I think they'll be happy if uh, Biden uh, beats Trump because uh, Trump has been uh, quite uh, offensive towards them. But uh, secretly, they may even think, you know, if Trump wins, maybe we'll be able to reach some kind of deal because at the end of the day for Trump, it's all about economics and all about business and the Iranians need a lot of economic help and a lot of business and they think that with Trump, they can probably make a deal. So I think, quite honestly, if I were the Ayatollah, and I'm not, and I have no wishes to be, uh, I, I would be quite content either way. I think I tend to agree with you because, you know, it will be the <clears throat> President Trump's second term. And if you remember, he calls himself the deal maker. And I think, right. uh, yes, he will go with all, with, with, with full speed towards an agreement. <laughs> I want to ask you, Dan Gilliman, during the Trump years, 
Many analysts and uh, politicians expressed uh, concern about the erosion of, uh, of U.S. bipartisan support for Israel. It started under Obama when Netanyahu addressed the joint session of Congress and continued the full swing with the alliance Trump and Netanyahu forged. Do you think a Trump re-election would deepen divisions with the Democrats? And would the Biden victory fix them? Or are we in for some democratic revenge over Israel's dedication to Trump? Well, I think that's a very, very important point because I think that one of the biggest dangers uh, to Israel is the fact that American support for Israel, support of uh, the president, the Congress, or the Senate, has, you know, the biggest asset we had was that that support was always bipartisan, totally across the aisle. It really didn't matter who was in the White House and who controlled the Hill. The support for Israel was totally bipartisan. In the last few years, to a great extent, uh, because of the policy of Prime Minister Netanyahu, and which came to a head really with his going to the Congress uh, against the Iran deal behind the back and against the interests of the President of the United States, of a democratic president and a democratic Senate, uh, he uh, really turned the relationship and the support into a totally partisan support and has to a great extent even alienated parts of the uh, Democratic Party and by the way, parts of the Jewish community as well. And uh, I therefore think that uh, if uh, President Trump uh, continues, uh, is reelected, that void and that uh, divide will be even uh, become even greater. And uh, on the other hand, I think if uh, Joe Biden is elected, Joe Biden is historically a, a great friend of Israel, as is Kamala Harris. As, by the way, is most of the Democratic Party, people like uh, Omar and AOC and others are on the fringe, on the left fringe, together with Bernie Sanders to a certain extent, but that's not the real Democratic Party. So I think that in a way, if uh, Joe Biden is elected, there may be a chance with people like Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi and others to heal that divide and to bring back the bipartisan support for Israel, which I think the loss of which is very, very crucial and very dangerous to Israel. Uh, again, you, you just addressed my next question because I wanted to ask you about uh, uh, if the return of the Democrats could endanger Israeli interests given the, the rise of relatively radical forces in the party, such as uh, Congresswomen Ilhan Omar and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and you just said that you don't think it's still ma a major or substantial force within the Democrats, but given uh, the fact that uh, President Biden is supposed to, to bring back the, the old American uh, thinking about, you know, recognizing the green line, not recognizing uh, Jerusalem, looking at the, the West Bank uh, settlements as illegal, uh, don't you think that the, all these combined with uh, those uh, congresswomen can, uh, can cause uh, a lot of problems on the, the, the line between Jerusalem and Washington? I'm, I'm not so sure. I, uh, first of all, I really don't think that the uh, Biden administration will go back on uh, 
many of the things which uh, the Trump administration initiated. I don't think they'll go back on Jerusalem. I don't think they'll uh, go back on, uh, you know, even the Golan Heights. They, they may be far tougher on uh, settlements, but we already saw that the whole idea of uh, annexation has uh, been dropped aside as a result of the uh, peace deals or normalization arrangements we've reached with the uh, with the Emirates and other Arab countries. So I, you know, also American administrations usually don't don't go back and don't cancel the decisions uh, of uh, previous administrations unless they're totally uh, different to their point of view. I, you know, I I think that uh, whoever is elected. Uh, and uh, especially if Biden is elected, because with Trump, we already have a great friend in the White House. Uh, whoever is elected will continue the friendship and the support of Israel, you know. And at the end of the day, what's really important is who will be the best president for America. You know, I'm reminded of a famous meeting between David Ben-Gurion, the first prime minister and the founder of Israel, and John F. Kennedy in uh, 1962 at the Waldorf Astoria. It was a scheduled to be a 30-minute meeting, and it turned out to be over two hours. And Kennedy was very impressed by Ben-Gurion, who was obviously a very impressive person. And he then accompanied him to the elevators. And before they parted, Kennedy said to Ben-Gurion, Prime Minister, what can I do for Israel? And David Ben-Gurion, in his wise way, said to him, Mr. President, be a great president for America. And I think that at the end of the day, whoever will be a good or great president for America will also be good for Israel. So yeah. I'm, I'm, really, I'm really not worried. There's also one other point, and that is that the, the Jewish vote usually this goes... This is my next great. question. You, you're doing it to me again, taking my question. Okay. So I ask it. I wanted to ask you how to explain President Trump tremendous popularity among Israeli Jews uh, as opposed to the overwhelming support of, for Biden among, among American Jews? Uh, I'll tell you, and I can tell you from personal experience. Uh, when I was at the UN in 04, uh, it was the second election for George W. Bush. Uh, George W. Bush was possibly the most pro-Israeli pro -Israeli president the United States had maybe until Donald Trump, but even beyond that, because with him, it came from his heart. He was very, very, very supportive of Israel. George W. Bush got in 04, less of the Jewish vote than either Reagan or Nixon. And I remember the next morning, I got a call from Karl Rove, who was the architect, as he was called, of uh, Bush's campaign. And he said to me, Mr. Ambassador, what the, I can't use the word now, but expletive deleted, what does an American president have to do to get the Jewish vote? And I spoke to many of my Jewish friends in New York, and I asked them, I said, look, when you go to the polls, isn't Israel important to you? Don't you, you know, think about Israel? They said, frankly, Israel is down the list, maybe number five or number six in our consideration when we go to vote. We care about the economy, we, call, we care about human rights, we care about abortion, we care about gay rights. These are the things that affect our daily life. And uh, we really 
Israel does not play a major part in our decision when we vote. And as far as we are concerned, the Democrats are uh, carrying out the things or care about the things that we care about most. And that's why most Americans, and I think in many cases over 70, even 75% or more of the American Jews, to a great extent, most of them, except the very extreme Haredi ones, have always voted Democrats and will vote Democrats uh, this, this time too. So actually you're saying uh, that uh, traditionally Jews are uh, liberals or Democrats. It's a genetic issue, not uh, concerning any the identity of any president, but you didn't answer the, the, first, uh, the, the first part of the question about the tremendous popularity of uh, Trump within Israeli Jews. And I want to add to this uh, and ask you if the recent normalization agreements between Israel and key United States prove that Trump was right all along on the Middle East, much more so than Obama. Well, just to answer your, your previous question, uh, Trump is a big hero in Israel. He's a reality star and uh, he's given us many, many gifts, which many Israelis cherish, including Jerusalem as our capital and moving the embassy to Jerusalem and of course the Golan Heights. So Israelis seeing him a real friend uh, I think they also like the fact that uh, his daughter is Jewish and his grandchildren are Jewish, which makes him very popular in many parts of the Israeli society. Uh, but uh, as far as uh, the, uh, the other part of your question was about? About uh, the, the events, the, the, the fact that the, the, the president oh, right. succeeded you know, to break the paradigm that caused the, all the Sunni states to wait to the Palestinian-Israeli track to, uh, to be fulfilled. Now they are all abandoning the Palestinians. Now time suddenly is working not for the Palestinians, but, but for Israel. And maybe this is the, 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 the results of the Trump administration uh, agenda in the Middle East. And maybe, you know, the, the, the way Trump came to the Middle East is more accurate than the way uh, uh, President Obama did. Uh, well, I, I think there's, there's no doubt that the uh, policy and the strategy which Donald Trump uh, initiated and which Jared Kushner, his son-in-law, uh, carried out to a great extent, uh, proved to be right. And in a way, the writing was on the wall uh, already for some time. Uh, we all felt for a long time, and I've been saying it for a long time too, that there there is a, a new Arab and Muslim world consisting of moderate Arab and Muslim countries who finally realized that Israel is not their enemy and that the real threat to them emanates not from Jerusalem, but from Tehran. And that in fact, Israel can be their ally, both economically, technologically, but even militarily as an ally against the threat of Iran. They've been saying it in private meetings and they've been voicing that for a very long time. And I think at a certain point, they got fed up with the Palestinians, who as usual never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity. And uh, while we know that there isn't much love lost between the Arab world and the Palestinians anyway, when they were offered by uh, this US administration a lot of uh, 
benefits, including, you know, in the case of Sudan, hundreds of millions of dollars and uh, relinquishing their debts. And uh, they said, okay, you know, I mean, things have changed. And we have uh, for years, for a few years already, regarded Israel not as an enemy. We have no dispute with Israel. We've given the Palestinians many chances. They have missed them all. And I think Trump, uh, with Kushner and his, his team, used this sentiment and approaching this as another business deal. Uh, because as you know, you know, Trump uh, wrote the art of the deal and he, in a way, uh, sees, I think, the whole conflict in the Middle East and the conflict between us and the Palestinians as a sort of real estate deal, yeah. which it isn't. Uh, I think he took advantage of that and he, and, uh, he managed to use that new sentiment, which has been apparent in the moderate Arab and Muslim world for some time, especially, you know, when, when the real fight for supremacy and leadership in the Muslim world is between two countries who are not even Arab, and that's Turkey and Iran. And uh, many of the moderate Arab and Muslim states are worried about that, and especially about Iran. Uh, here they have the United States coming to them and saying, look, normalize relations with Israel, make peace with Israel, we'll deal with the Palestinians later. And uh, they have accepted it. And I think that strategy proved to be right and proved to be uh, yeah. the, the thing that really worked at the end of the day. And uh, we'll now have to wait and see whether the Palestinians join this train, which to a great extent has already left the station, and or uh, miss it altogether, which will be a pity. For, for closing up this issue, do you think that uh, I have two parts of the, this question? Do you think that the, without the Iranian threat, could all this uh, really happen? Because I think my my opinion is that the, the existence and and, and the, the aspirations of Iran is the the founding father of the whole process. And secondly. It's common to think that now the Palestinians will be very angry and maybe third intifada and so. But what, what do you think of, of the thesis that this can ignite a new generation of Palestinian leadership that will abandon the, the, the traditional approach of Arafat and Abu Mazen and understand that life matters it's about to a time to, to, to start taking care about standard of living and education and, and, uh, and economy. And maybe this will move them uh, finally towards a real negotiation uh, with Israel. I think you're completely right here. I think that Iran was a very important factor. The threat of Iran Uh, the extremism, the, the export of Iranian terrorism and their threat towards their, their neighbors, uh, including the Emirates and the Saudis and many others, acted as a real uh, catalyst in them agreeing to normalize relations with Israel and make Israel an ally and not an enemy. Uh, and as far as the Palestinians are concerned, I think that uh, we'll probably have to wait for the day after uh, Mahmoud Abbas or Abu Mazen. Uh, I don't think he can personally afford to change his instructions position and all of a sudden uh, give up all his uh, statements. But I think that uh, probably, uh, you know, and he's not a very, he's not a young person. 
And I think that uh, whoever replaces him, whether it's someone who is uh, in Israeli jail or someone like Mohammed Dahlan, or at least, you know, someone younger, uh, will, uh, will have both the authority and the uh, reality of saying, look, we, we've been trying one way for so long. It didn't get us very far. We can have a state. We could have had a state uh, had Abu Mazen agreed to Ewud Olmert's very uh, generous proposal. We could have had a state if we had agreed to the Clinton and Barack parameters in 2000. We've missed it time and time again. Now all our neighbors and all our other, all the Arab countries are normalizing relations with Israel. We can't miss this train again. And uh, I think the day after Abu Mazen, we will see a Palestinian leader who will decide that uh, time has come to agree to a, to a fair and uh, hopefully long-lasting uh, arrangement with Israel. Ambassador Dan Gilman, it was a pleasure and fascinating. I thank you very much for this uh, talk. And we will take a small, very short break and come back right after it with some closures. Thank you very much, uh, Ambassador Gilman. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. And uh, let's uh, wait and see what happens on Tuesday. It will be interesting. With the whole world. Thanks. I'm Andrew Parasoliti, president of the award-winning media news site, El Monitor, where we cover the Middle East with some of the best reporters and columnists anywhere. And I'm excited to announce our new podcast, On the Middle East, where each week I will interview newsmakers from the U.S. and the region about the latest news and trends with additional commentary from our on-the-ground correspondents. Those of you who follow the region know that what happens in the Middle East doesn't stay in the Middle East. And to cite another great movie line, every time the U.S. tries to get out, the region pulls us back. Your time is valuable, so let me promise you this. You will learn something and you will never be bored because each week we'll be talking with and listening to those leaders who are making the news and shaping the trends in this critical and fascinating region. So please subscribe to On the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti. Thank you for staying with us. A few highlights from the interesting conversation with Ambassador Dan Gilliman. First of all, he believes that the process or the trend of uh, getting closer, uh, Israel getting closer with the Sunni Arab or Muslim states in the Middle East will go on in any case, not dependent on the identity of uh, the president in the Oval Office. Uh, Ambassador Gilliman thinks it will go on even if Biden will inherit Trump as president. He is worried about uh, the relationship or the bipartisanship uh, historical uh, uh, treaty uh, of the American politics with Israel. He thinks that the Biden victory will heal the wounds between Israel and the Democratic Party. A Trump victory can uh, widen the gap uh, between Israel and parts of the uh, Democratic Party. Ambassador Gilliman thinks that uh, the future of uh, the negotiation between uh, Iran and the United States of America uh, is not dependent on the, the identity of the president. He assumes that in any case, the next American president will uh, try 
and engage with the Iranians to reach a new nuclear agreement between the, the, the superpowers and Iran. And if he was Ayatollah Khamenei, he would prefer Trump, because Trump, as Ambassador Gilman says, will be on his uh, second term. He is a deal breaker, and he will want very much to, to get maybe to the Nobel Prize, to get the Nobel Prize with a, a historic uh, deal with Iran. That's it for today. Uh, hope to see you next Monday in On Israel, and I'll monitor. I'm Ben Kaspit. Take care.